Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Have you ever made it through an entire box of Oreos in one sitting and asked yourself, what was I thinking? This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs talking with researcher Ralph DeLeon, whose research might shed some light on that question. Dr. DeLeon's work centers on the processes in the brain that regulate eating. So cookies, calzones, any number of high-fat foods strike me as far more pleasurable to eat than, say, carrot sticks. Does the basic research that you're doing shed any light on why that might be? Yeah, I think so. You know, work both in our group and work really for a number of years in the field that's helped to find mechanisms that underlie eating, of course, but specific neurochemical mechanisms that are more responsible for what you know, pleasurable eating, mm -hmm. hedonic or highly pleasurable eating, especially um, with high fat or high sugar containing foods. So certain pathways in the brain seem to be more connected. Certain neurochemical pathways are more uh, integral to those kinds of behaviors versus other kinds of eating. Mm -hmm. um, so specific manipulations can reduce intake or enhance intake of those kinds of uh, substances versus others. Uh, and imaging studies as well support differences between uh, images and neurochemical studies support differences in how the brain responds really to those different sorts of food. So the things that we identify <coughs> as comfort foods, there really is a chemical reason why they truly are comfort foods. Yeah, I mean, presumably, you know, comfort foods might get into another layer of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there is, there is some just response to the, to the chemicals per se, but I think a lot of it is associations with the food, which might engage other kinds of brain regions that are sensitive to associations, positive or negative, with food. You know, certainly we all have that experience, a bad experience with food, and it's aversive for a long time, mm -hmm. and certainly there's foods that bring back memory. So I think you get into two different things, which is the actual response to the food, which is it tastes good, and then associations with that food or the smell of the food, etc. And all those things the brain is really, really wired to pay attention to. So if the brain is wired to be pro-sugar and pro-fat, isn't that kind of a design flaw? Wouldn't I be better off if my brain just said, oh, broccoli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't see that brain too much. No, it, it, it's out there, it. I think, but I don't have one of them. I think that it's not a design flaw in the context of it. We didn't live in excess till relatively recent uh -huh. in uh, you know human history and our experience. And before, when we did live in, rest in, in restriction, where we were sort of fighting for our food and scavenging for it, uh, certainly you wanted to have food that was really efficient, that had a lot of calories uh, per unit of food. And certainly fat falls into that category. Mm -hmm. So that's at least my view on it. I think many people's view is it's a bit of a remnant of a past where we had food in excess. Uh, we didn't have food in excess, and now we have it in excess. Right. So. I'm interested in why you <clears throat> focus on food. Um, with, with a lot of addictions, you, you would completely abstain, so it would seem easier to control behaviors related to drugs, alcohol, tobacco. Mm -hmm. why, why food? Right, right, uh, right. And even drugs, them, uh, even abstaining ends up being very challenging. But with food, yeah, that can't be a strategy. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I focused on, I've always been interested in it. I think it is, as I, I've already indicated a little bit, it's really what the brain, one of the things a brain evolved to do pay attention to where your food sources are mm -hmm. and to get them and to eat them and to remember that. Right. And I think all these things were really, really uh, sculpted by evolution. I think you had to become very good at that 
or you simply weren't going to be propagating your genes at some point. And certainly thousands of years ago, this was really relevant. So I think in a lot of ways, food is much more complicated. We can't abstain. And I think we have even more, uh, it's much more integrated into our neurochemistry and neurobiology. I think responses to food, not only the smell, all those things. I mean, drugs, in a lot of cases, don't even engage a lot of those senses, mm -hmm. never mind post-ingestive responses. Right. There's a lot of indication now in the field that actually some of the reward and reinforcing properties of food are not just the flavor and the taste, but really after you digest it, there's another layer of reinforcement there that would be uh, you know, rewarding to people. That's really interesting. We think of dieting as a matter of willpower, but what you're saying seems to indicate that it's, it's not entirely that our, our bodies are almost working against us. Right. I, I mean, I, th I think it, yes, I think so. I, th I think it's very much, there's the reason why this is really in a, a, a topic of a lot of discussion nowadays, and it's certainly been challenging to, uh, for people living in excess to really lose the weight. All these different dieting programs, people have mixed success. It's hard to maintain that. It's because I think you're working against your biology. And um, is there a component of controlling that that may be successful in the right context? I think so. I think you can, uh, but it's very hard, and I think it's very hard for a reason. So, yeah, don't, as you mentioned earlier, is it a design flaw? Um, I don't, and a lot of people in the field don't quite view it that way. Mm -hmm. Does it have health consequences that are significant now when you lose control over that food intake and you're really uh, getting into a realm of having medical complications associated with that? That's more of a problem. But um, as far as design flaws, it seems perfectly designed to me for most of our years of existence, you know, right. in terms of the evolution of the species, that you would have this strong drive to eat strong memories about <clears throat> where you might find the food and what a smell means, etc. So uh, that's going to be that's a challenge as we've seen. Yeah, because we can't evolve it, no. quick enough now. No, no. And so <clears throat> and you know, there's a lot of components to, to human behavior. Of course, there's there's um, there's the evolution and what gives us our, our, our baseline, you know, uh, physiology, etc. But we can, you know, obviously we have a big cortex. There's ways we can try to modify that. A lot of other branches of psychiatry certainly depend upon these behavioral modifications. Um, uh, but I think it is important to, to, to point out that it is relatively recent and, and the, the dramatic biological uh, um, modifications are, are going to be hard to come by right now. But we do have a lot of control of our behavior uh, through really, in a sense, you could call it willpower or mm -hmm. through directed, you know, directed thought of what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Thank you. We've been talking with Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Ralph DeLeon, who is a member of Yale's Stress, Self-Control, and Addiction Consortium. For more information, visit YaleStress.org.